Y'all doing all right this morning? Somebody whistling at me? Ooh. You know, I got made fun of a lot after first service because I'm wearing pink shoes or puce. Puce is what somebody called them. And uh, I'm all right with that, you know. I can live with that. It's okay. People have made fun of me for worse. So, <laughs> Lucas, Middleton, not to mention anybody's name, Luke, Timothy. Timothy, did you know Timothy is his first name? Timothy Luke and Regina Nettleton. Woo! Some friends of mine. So. Oh, um, my name's Vince. That's, if you don't know me, my name is Vince, and I, Vincent Caleb P. Shanini, or as Sean would say, Pinchinini. Pinchinini? Get over here, Pinchinini. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I'm on stop. <clears throat> my name's Vince P. Shanini. And I'm on staff here at Cornerstone, one of the pastors, and uh, it's a blessing to be with you all today. Um, I'm excited uh, for what for what God's doing. I'm excited to be a part of His kingdom, and uh, we've been talking about a culture of generosity, and so we're going to continue in that this morning. Last week, Pastor Sean um, talked about two different mindsets that we can have, we can develop in our lives, a bag mindset or a basket mindset. And I do want to tell you all that I screamed like all of first service. So my goal is to scream only half of this service. So I'm going to try to calm down a little bit. Um, but I do not make any promises. So yeah, so we can either have a bag mindset, which is kind of the way that I look at it is like a closed fist. Or a basket mindset would be like an open hand. And how God has called us to live with a basket mindset and, and not to always be in a place where we're continually trying to hang on to what we have. You've got to hang on to it so I can survive. And really that bag mindset is rooted in, in a self-preservation, afraid state. And uh, man, that's not where Christ wants us to live. In fact, we just learned that we're made for freedom. So, or we just watched the video. And, uh, and so I just want to kind of take, take that and maybe talk about how we can begin to walk that out in our lives, really walk out in a place where we have an open hand, where we can develop generosity in our lives. And I think the first place for us to start, to be able to understand how to walk out living a life of generosity, we need to go to the very beginning and understand who God is. We need to understand that God, he is not, or God, he, he does not just do generous things. He doesn't just have generous activities that he does every now and then. But really, his nature is generosity. It, he's generous. It, that is his makeup. That is his culture, if you will. He is generous. He doesn't, he doesn't every now and then pick out somebody and be like, Derek, you look good today, man. I'm going to be generous to you. Derek, you always look good. He, he doesn't just pick out, or it's not based on, I'm not pissed off today, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be generous. Or excuse me, I am not angry or teed off today. <laughs> so I'm going to be generous. No, that's, that, that, that doesn't exist in his reality. He, 
his nature, his generosity. Let's, let's look at the beginning of his generosity and his dealings with, with man. If, if you turn to Genesis 1, um, we'll start reading in verse 26. And this is a very familiar passage. If you've been around the church or if you've known Christ for a little while, you've probably read this before. It's at the very beginning of the book. So if you've ever read the book from the beginning, you've read it. So Genesis 1, 26 says this. Then God said, oh, I started screaming already. Let me try that again. Then God said. <laughs> okay. Let us make man. Right there, we can stop and see the generosity of God. Just the fact, I want you to just think about this for a second, because I love my father. Just the fact that I am a thought in his mind is generous. When you think about the vastness and the infinite nature of God, when you think about creation, how huge it is, when you look at our galaxy, and it really is kind of a speck on this big Cosmo that has all these galaxies and you think about who he is, that he's not limited by space or time. He's all powerful, all knowing. He is the creator. He created everything I touch and I'm a thought in his head. That's a generous God. I think, honestly, in my opinion, that's, that, that alone is enough for us to fall on our knees and sing hallelujah, hallelujah, our God reigns. Our God, by nature, is generous. Let's keep reading. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Not only are we a thought to be made, but he's going to make us according to his image. What he looks like. In our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. Female. I got a whole lot of them in my house. Five. Five. And I consider, I consider it one of my highest priorities to make sure that every one of my daughters and my wife understand that they have been made in the image of God, that they are a representative of his nature, of who he is. They are not less. They are not beneath me. They are my partners. They're right beside me because we've both been made in the image of God. And I consider it my duty to, to, to train my girls to understand their value so they can be empowered to do whatever God has called them to do. So I just want to encourage you today, ladies, don't let anyone talk down to you. Don't let anyone make you feel like you're less because that's a bunch of you know what. The truth is, is that you've been made in the image of God. And unless the church starts to realize that and empower our women to be who they've been called, to be, we are not going to have the full expression of his nature. Male and female. Okay, I'm screaming. Jesus. Yes, amen, I'll move on. Okay, absolutely. 
So God created, oh no, verse 28. Then God blessed them. And I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to say so much more, but another time. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given, I have, I got an open hand. I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree uh, whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast on the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So God, by nature, is generous in his dealings with us. He is generous in creation. He not only created us in his image, but then he said, here's this earth. And he gave us this planet we're on, and he said, subdue it. And I have given you this herb not that herb. I know what y'all thinking. <laughs> I've actually heard people use that scripture to like, you know, say it's all right, smoke weed every now and then. But, you know, but anyways. <laughs> Look at y'all. You're like, it's not okay. It's not all right, man. <laughs> he's, given, he's given us, and he told us to subdue it and have dominion over it. And, and he's generous. Now, We've done messed that up. You know, we, 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 we have taken what he's given us and we've perverted it. We've turned it into something it was never intended to be. And you would think that that would be kind of the, all right, generosity's done. <laughs> I gave you everything. I set you up. You were, I mean, you had it good. I mean, the garden was, I can't even imagine. I mean, we just try to imagine, right? But we can't imagine what the original state of this earth would have been in its brand new, man, it had to be good. It was good. That's what he said. He said it was good. And then we, we pervert it. And you think, well, that would be the end of his generosity. But no, it didn't stop there. Because even, even when we messed it up, he continued in his generosity towards man. And you can see that in his dealings with Adam and Eve. You can see that when the first murderer, Cain, was protected by the presence of God. He put a mark on Cain. Cain was the first murderer, put a mark on him so he would be protected. So nothing would come upon him. He was generous with Abraham when he cut a covenant with Abraham and promised him that he would make him the father of many nations. He was generous with Hagar. This Egyptian girl that was brought into slavery, she was impregnated and then cast away. As if she, she had no value, she was just cast away. You, you made fun of my promised son Isaac, and so now you got to go into the desert, into the wilderness. And does God forget about her? No, God meets her, shows her where the well's at, and says, I will make Ishmael a great nation. God is generous. He was generous with Isaac, with Jacob and Joseph, with Moses, the Israelites, Joshua, Rahab. Rahab. The Israelites are coming in to take over. And Rahab sees these spies. She doesn't turn and push them away. She doesn't, she doesn't turn them in. She what helps them. And because of that, because of that, there was some generosity that was extended towards her. Ruth, in fact, Rahab was a prostitute, and she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She was honored for what she did. God was generous to this prostitute. You got Ruth. You can see his generosity towards Samuel. Oh, my goodness. Can you not see his generosity towards David? 
King David. You can look, and throughout all of this Bible history, you can see the generosity of God, our God. You look at Naaman. Naaman was the, the chief, uh, he was the head of the Syrian army who came in and defeated Israel. He was the head of their armies. And thankfully, he had a little Jewish girl that was one of his servants. And when he got leprosy, he said, hey, I know this prophet in Israel. And if you go there, he'll heal you. And so what's he do? He gets up and he heads that way. Comes to Elisha. And of course, he has all this money and stuff. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you this. And Elisha, is Elisha or Elijah at that point? Somebody help me. Elijah, right? And Elijah's like, no, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. Go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. You'll be healed. So he goes and dips himself in the Jordan seven times. What happens? He experiences the generosity of our God. And I love it because it says that he's like, there's something about this place. And he takes up some of the land, right? He takes it. I was like, okay, let's fill up. Are you, okay, you won't take my money, but can I have some of this dirt? Because <laughs> he realized there was something about this God these Jews served. And if I could have a piece of their land, I could just see it now. It's such an awesome picture. I could see him taking that land and putting it in his courtyard in his massive estate. And every now and then he would go because he encountered a God who's generous. Probably fall on his knees and worship the God of Israel. Our God is generous. You can see it all throughout his dealings with man. With Nehemiah, Esther, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, the prophets, you can see the generosity of our God. He is a generous God. And I know people try to paint other pictures, try to paint a picture of our God as being angry. They try to paint pictures of a God that's vindictive and wants to come in and, and just smite and tear, you know, tear us up and give us, give us what we're due. But that is not the picture that I believe we see because ultimately in the generosity of who God is, what does he come, what does he do? He wraps himself up in flesh and he comes and he walks this earth to show us how generous he really is. Hey, you've screwed this up, but you know what? I'll absorb it. I'll absorb all of it. Not to come to show you how angry it was, but he came to show you how generous he is. And I'll absorb this sin, and I'll absorb death, and in it you will find life. I'll take the death, and you will have life. And he gives us life. Because our God is generous in church. If we are going to walk in the generosity, if we're going to develop a culture of generosity, we have to settle this one thing in our hearts. God, by nature, is generous. It can't, it can't just be an idea. It can't just be, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, those Christians, they're so cute, you know. Like, No, no. It has to be something that we believe. We've got to believe it in our hearts. Now let's talk about our nature. God's nature is generous. Now our nature, it doesn't take long when you begin to look around you. It doesn't take long when you even sometimes begin to look at your own life. It doesn't take long when you have children to understand that by nature, we are not very generous. <laughs> I'm serious. I have four of them. I have one right now. She's three months. Oh, man, I could eat her. Where's she at? She in here? Baby, you in here? Oh, there she is in the hallway. I bet she, she's holding my baby. 
But I, lo- I mean, she just, you know, when they're three months and you just, they look at you and all you got to do is go, hello, lefty man. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, you're the greatest person ever. <laughs> and they smile and you just, she's got chubby cheeks. So <laughs> get on those cheeks. But they're like one and a half. What happened? You know, this cute little bundle of joy that would cry every now and then. And what's great now is when she cries, I'm just like, oh, here you go, babe. (laughs) That's bad. I need help, I know. Uh, But yeah, I mean, and then one and a half, it's like, mine! Get away from me! I hate you, Dad! You know, not like that. But, you know, you start to see that nature. and, And then, you know, as you grow up, you begin to see it. And then when you begin to kind of experience some things that were not so generous, you start dealing with people that are not so generous. You look at the news and you can see what's even going on right now in our world and it just breaks your heart and you're like, what is wrong with us? And, and so you see by nature, we're not, we're not generous. But, but, Jesus, 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 transforms us from the inside out because of Jesus and what he's accomplished our nature has changed let me tell you the original design the original design listen we we're made in the image we were made to emulate him we were made to be generous that's how we were made to be that and we've been brought back to the original design. So you can look at, you can look at what sin has done and wreaked havoc in this world and what death has done in this planet. And you can lose all hope or you can say, Jesus, Jesus, he made a way. He redeemed us back to where we're supposed to be as sons, as daughters. Let's look at some scriptures that talk about this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our our trespasses made us alive. He's made us alive together with Christ. Romans 4, 7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are a son of God. And if a son of God, then an heir, you're an heir of God through Christ. Colossians 3, 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 1 John 4, 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness, boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You see, our nature has been changed. If you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you have had a revelation of who he is and what he's done for you, and you said, yes, I submit my life to you, I receive this gift, your nature has been changed. You are now a son. You are now a daughter of the living God. You have been plucked out of darkness and brought 
into light. But here's the thing. All that is so true. And all of it sounds so amazing. But I, myself up here screaming at you, cannot, as much as I want to, I can't bring you to a place where you fully believe that in your heart. We're talking about creating a culture or developing a culture. I, I often, I, I honestly don't like to use that, that, that verbiage or that vernacular because it, because it almost sounds like that through our effort, we can get to a place where we become generous. And in all honesty, you can't create a culture, right? A culture is who you are. Look at it like this. Um, me and my wife are two separate cultures. She comes from Brazil, and, you know, I was born here in the United States. And uh, I went, you know, to Brazil and asked her to marry me within two weeks of knowing her. We got married. Here we are 12 years later. Glory be to God. Now, needless to say, you know, first couple of years were kind of, you know, two different cultures, and we really didn't even know each other. We got married, and it was interesting, to say the least. We're different. And so there was a lot of things, you know, that we butted heads on, of course. But we have different cultures. That's her culture. Brazilian culture is her culture. And, and, and this, is, this is my culture. And I'm still working on telling her or trying to get her to understand that it's important to be on time. <laughs> right? <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Gosh, it's so important. She's been trying to convince me. Forget time. It's more important to finish your conversation. And, you know, for me, I'm like, you know, if I got to be somewhere and I'm in a conversation, that's horrible. You can pray for me because I could be talking to you and like in my head, I'm thinking, oh man, I need to go. And so you see me start to drift. And like, I don't even hear, at this point, like if I'm thinking I need to go, I don't hear anything you're saying. And I apologize right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> my wife hates this about me because like, I just check out because like it's time. You know, in fact, I'm running out of time. And so, and so I, I'm just gonna, I, I go, I'm, I'm gone, and she knows when I get like that, and it's, anyways. So her culture is different from me. Now, from my own. So if I were to go to Brazil, and I wanted to, to be a part of their culture, in order to be a part of their culture, I can't just learn samba. I can't dance, period, so we won't even do that. I can't just learn how to play football, soccer. Just talk the way they talk, wear the clothes that they wear, you know, start being late everywhere. <laughs> she was 30 minutes late to our wedding. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> you know, I can't just go and start... I can't just go and start doing those things and then just say, okay, now that I've got all this activity going on, I am now, I am Brazilian. 
No, it doesn't work like that. What would probably happen is I would try too hard. I would like samba all day, and people like, dude, there ain't even music playing. You need to stop. You just, gringo, go away. Go back to America and be on time, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because listen, you, you can't really create a culture. A culture is who you are. It, it's what makes you you. And so if I really wanted to go and be a part of their culture, number one, I'd have to be adopted. I'd have to be adopted into their culture. They would have to accept me. They would have to accept me. I'd have to be adopted in their culture. And then from that point on, I would have to immerse myself in their culture. That means I'm moving there. I'm taking up residency. I'm going to take up citizenship. Then I'm going to have to change the way I think. I'm going to have to start being late everywhere I go. I'm going to have to realize that relationship is extremely important to them. And if I value them and I value their culture, then I'm going to realize it's important for me to finish this conversation, even if I am going to go nuts because I'm going to be late. But that's what I have to change the way I think. I have to change my perspective. I have to change, uh, uh, I have to change every part of who I am because that's not me. And it's the same when we're talking about the culture of God. Listen, listen, we've been adopted We are now his sons and daughters. He has plucked us out of that darkness and we've been put into the kingdom of light. We are now children of God and now it's our responsibilities as citizens. Listen, I know I'm a citizen here in the United States, but before that, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so it's now my responsibility to immerse myself, immerse myself in the culture of God. If I want to uh, emulate who my father is, if it truly is my desire to be an expression of God here in this earth, I, I can't just go around doing a whole bunch of activity without ever having some fundamental heart change. Because that, that activity or the, the actions that I do eventually will be seen for what they are. Somebody trying to be somebody they're not. But if I'm changed from the inside out, then what happens is the activity is my nature. That's just, that's who I am because I'm a son of God. I've been changed. So how? How do we begin to assimilate or how do we begin to take ourselves and who we are and begin to live it out? How do we walk out in this generosity? How do we take on, or how do we walk in the nature that we have? First, I already said this, but you have to, you have to settle in your heart that you believe he's generous, and you gotta settle in your heart that he has plucked you out of darkness, brought you into light, and now your nature is generosity. Listen, if you don't ever see yourself as generous, you will never be generous. If you don't ever see yourself as he is, as he is, so are we. If you don't ever see yourself as he is, then the manifestation of the kingdom will be far from you. But if you can change the way you think, if you can change fundamental beliefs, because here's the thing, if we're honest, and we got to be, we fundamentally are trained in self preservation. And we have to take the time to look to see what it is we really believe in church. It's high time that we, we really believe what we say we believe. This, 
what? I just read the scriptures about your true nature. But just reading those scriptures doesn't make it real for you. And so we have to take time, and this would be part of the how. We have to take time getting into the scripture. We talk about immersion in a culture. Let me tell you the best way you can immerse yourself into the kingdom of God is to immerse yourself in the scripture. This here has transformed me. When I, because here's the thing, I don't just consider it as, as just another book. I don't consider this as just a, you know, that's a neat idea. That's so nice. You guys are so thoughtful. No, I, I really believe that this is inspired. I, I mean, to the fact that I've spent so much time in these scriptures. I've spent time studying historical text about these, these scriptures. I've spent time listening to men teach about these scriptures. I've spent time reading these scriptures. I've spent time contemplating, meditating, thinking about, praying about, singing about. I've immersed myself, and I still am trying to do it more. We got to immerse, and and then what happens though is is you start to realize, okay, I've I have a, a fundamental belief here that is not in line with the kingdom, and so then you begin to change. You address it, then you meditate on the truth, and the truth transforms you. So we we our nature has been made in the image of God, and now what we're doing is aligning ourselves with that nature. You say, Vince, why can't it just be, okay, so if, if, if Christ really did this and he's changed our nature, then why can't I, when that happened, when I received Christ as my Savior, why didn't everything just change, like automatically? Like, why didn't I just automatically start being awesome? <laughs> why didn't I just automatically start caring for others and seeing others through the eyes of Christ? Why didn't I just automatically be generous? Why, why is there this process? And I think the answer is the same as it was in the beginning. Because God values relationship. If he just, when we got saved, was programmed that it automatically happened, then we're, we, we've lost agency. We don't have our free will. No, no, no. He desires relationship. He desires to walk this thing out with us. I believe that in the garden that we were going to learn. I believe that we were going to grow. I believe that we were going to develop in, in, in our nature. And so when we've been redeemed, it's the same. We've been brought back. That's our nature. Now we just got to continue the process of aligning ourselves with our true nature. So we got to settle those beliefs in our heart. We got to immerse ourselves in the word. We got to immerse ourselves in worship. We got to immerse ourselves in prayer. We got to be aware of his presence. What you are most conscious of will become your reality. So if you are aware of him always with you, and that's, once again, something that you settled in your heart, and you know, when you are constantly aware of his presence, then the kingdom of heaven is going to start to become your reality more and more. Can anybody testify that? Has anybody seen that in their lives? Come on. I know I'm not the only one. So when we're, when we're aware of his presence, then we're going to walk in generosity. Lastly, we've got to deal with fear because the enemy is going to do everything he can to get us to not walk in our true nature because when we walk in our true nature what what happens is God gets glory it's a beautiful it's a phenomenal thing I love it 
But if he can get you afraid, you ain't going to be, you can't get, no. If you're afraid, you, you, you have to believe that all sufficiency really is in Christ. That everything you need and everything you want is in him. And the more that you can make that a fundamental belief of who you are, wow, you're going to see generosity begin to pour out of you. You're going to begin to walk in your true nature. But if you're afraid, and that's what he's going to try to do. If you're afraid, if I give this, then I won't have what I need. He's got you. You're going to close that fist up because your life is being led by fear. But listen, perfect love cast out all fear. We have been rooted and grounded in love. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you can know and you can trust that your needs will be taken care of. When you are generous, he's not going to forget about you. But if you're any area that you're afraid, it doesn't have to just be money. People are afraid to be hurt. So they'll withhold forgiveness. They'll withhold mercy. When the very thing they need to do to find healing is forgive. But they're afraid. Even our wants. Our wants are very dear to us. And anytime we want to be generous with something we want, we're afraid that if you give it away, you won't have what you want. Do you believe that all sufficiency is in Christ? Sean read this scripture last week. I think it bears reading again. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7, and 8 says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you uh, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. In first service, I said cheerful cheerful getter. That was not good. Cheerful giver! (laughs) But, you know, we like to get to. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Verse 8 says this, and God is able to make all grace. The question is, do you believe this? All grace abound towards you that you always have all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. Do you believe in the sufficiency that is in the scripture? That's something I have to ask myself every day. When I'm presented with an opportunity to be generous, do I believe in this, the sufficiency of what this says? Do I believe the sufficiency that we have in Christ? And when we can start to deal with that fear, man, we are going to walk in the nature, our nature, how God's created us to be. I want to close with this. In fact, just let's keep reading. In 2 Corinthians 9, let's read 11 and 12. You see what's going on here? Uh, what Paul's talking about is a gift. It was actually a financial gift that was given uh, from the church in Corinth to the church in Jerusalem. So we have some Gentiles that are giving to some Jews. Or, or once were Jews, sorry. Christians. But it, that's pretty significant when you think about it. Considering the relationship that they've had, for them to give that gift is huge. That's a really phenomenal thing. And so Paul's talking about this, and he says this in verse 11. He says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality or generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service uh, not only supplies the need of the saints, but also is abounding through God, many or abounding many thanksgivings to God. Listen, when we begin to operate in our true nature, hearts are turned to him. This church in Jerusalem was thankful. They turned to God and praised him. 
Oh, let me tell you, there's nothing that gives me more joy. In fact, when we were up here and I was watching everybody come to the front and we're singing hallelujah, I just want to watch you instead of sing hallelujah. Because it's just, I mean, it's, it's when God gets the glory that he deserves, there's, there's nothing better. In fact, earlier, you know, first service I talked about, you know, Luke talked about that scripture and how we're going to sing for eternity and the angels that are continually surrounding the throne. I remember as a kid hearing that stuff and thinking, man, I just get bored. That's how heaven's really going to be like. I'm going to be bored because I'm going to lose my voice after a while. And, of course, I had kind of a skewed image of what that was really going to be like. But the more I experience him, I I just can't get enough. I, I don't think I could ever get tired of worshiping him in whatever form that looks like because he's worthy. And when we can walk in our true nature as generous sons and daughters, it turns hearts to him. You're going to see hearts starting to turn to him. You've experienced that when you've, I'm sure you have, when you've been generous to people, you've seen people turn to him and give God glory. I'm excited for that. Man, I want to see him lifted up in this earth like never before. He needs to be famous, especially right now. We need to see him lifted higher than any other name. And listen, church, we're his representative. We need to settle in our heart what we believe about who he is and who we are so we can begin to emulate, so we can begin to look like our heavenly father, be aware of his presence so we can bring the kingdom of heaven with us wherever we go. And what's that going to do? It's going to turn hearts to God. That's what it's all about. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you.